The following is a recording of a personal blog. Episodes may contain topics of abuse, sexual violence, self-harm, and death. All topics are handled with care, but some details shared are triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, I promised you that this episode would be a lot more fun. And even though we are talking about dissociative identity disorder, and you may have not even listened to the first episode, but my name is Armand Gutierrez. My friends call me Armand. And this is DID and Me. The fun stuff is really not about, you know, having DID. It's not about the disorder. It's about how you survive it. It's about how you bring back your humanity going from such a low, low point and just try to bring it up higher and higher. A lot of the time people use drugs, alcohol, sex, tons of stimulants as they get older. And sometimes they do it when they're young. And sometimes that makes things worse. And I've never heard of a time where it made things better. Medication, though, is really different. So if you're brave enough and you're a kid or maybe somebody just paid a little bit more attention to you or maybe somebody new from experience, they can get you to the right people to help you get medication. The fun stuff was this. So I love cartoons. I spent so many hours watching cartoons. Uh, Hanna-Barbera. Absolute legend, Looney Tunes, absolutely fantastic. And then you're looking at situations of, you know, a lot of drawing, uh, making a lot of comics. Uh, I was the editor for a cartoon called Blood Play on Webtoon for two years uh, with one of my best friends, Bambi. And I self published my first book, um, pretty much my only book, um, in senior year of high school. And <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I'm in a recording studio this time around and it's a it's an open recording studio space. And so there's there's this metal band or at least this metal drummer who's uh, drumming in the other room way, 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 way down in the hall. And if I do my editing right, you're not going to be able to hear it, but I can totally hear it. And it's actually kind of amping me up. The thing is, is, is that when I was a kid, I really was shy. Um, shyness was pretty much the number one thing that people knew me for until I figured out how to communicate better. I figured out how to hide certain personal things. Um, and pretty much before Damien came onto the scene, I was really reserved. And that's the reason why I liked drawing. That's the reason why I liked cartoons. I loved playing with action figures. Star Wars was some of the absolute best. Legos were great. Legos are good. Um, and then I also had this train set when I was a really little kid. I was also, again, into rollerblading. And we're not going to touch the negative sides of that. We're not going to touch on the bullying. We're going to touch specifically on that feeling of when you finally realized you can take on any hill you want, that you could speed run all the way down a hill and safely come out on the other side. 
And, you know, I never have ever broken a bone. And I'm proud of that. I went roller skating last night and it was, it was great. I had my stamina back. You know, it's really funny. As I listen to this metal band, it kind of reminds me of the music I got into. My favorite band is Gorillaz and them being a digital band and not being real kind of resonated with me on the fact that my personalities weren't, you know, in their bodies. But Gorillaz, the band, was just so real to me. And especially as a cartoon, it was kind of like, uh, you know, the perfect thing to grow up with. My favorite band member, by the way, is, of course, 2D. Um, for all you Murdoch fans out of there, I'm, uh, I'm kind of sorry, kind of not, you know. <laughs> I, I, I know uh, the Gorillaz community, Murdoch is God. But uh, if you don't even know what song that is, then uh, maybe you should listen to more of their albums. I think you'd like it. Being in loud places sucked. I really didn't like sound because, you know, it reminded me of the yelling, which was the source of my trauma. So comics were kind of the perfect thing for me to convey my feelings and to convey ideas. And I liked my humor. Um, being funny really is something kind of uh, special in my family. We're pretty gentle on our humor. We tease but we definitely don't bully and we definitely don't try to embarrass anyone. The farthest thing you want from a joke is for your subject to be embarrassed because then it kind of closes a door for them to joke back, to respond back, to have fun with you. Man, I really thought tonight I'd be able to come in here without the, uh, without the band practice being so blaring fucking loud. But uh, here I am. As I got older, I was able to accept the amount of uh, death that I'd seen. In the last episode, we talked about visions. And uh, to get in a little bit more detail about visions, unfortunately, I, um, I had to see a lot of loved ones, a lot of people that I love die in front of me and then think that they were dead once I came out of the vision. So I was always very fascinated with death. And I wanted to make fun of it in a way I really wanted to mock it and so a lot of my early comics that weren't about Power Rangers because <laughs> I drew this comic called Stickman this was in third grade no fourth grade I drew this comic called Stickman and so I would fold it up and it would get passed throughout the entire classroom again I came from a really privileged place so I went to a Montessori school. And if you're not familiar with a Montessori school, it is, it's, it's a type of school where you as the student are responsible for getting certain credentials done and certain lessons done. So we had these tiny little cards and they would have a lesson or a problem and you would solve it and you would get it stamped. And it was like kind of on the honor system, but they would also check in with you not only weekly, but almost every other day, depending on the subject, on how far you're progressing and how you were doing. And I don't ever remember my answers being checked, especially for math. Like there were, they would have me do the math exam 
because at the end of the modules, like of all the little problems, there would be a test. But, you know, the test was kind of like, oh, well, he got a C, so we're, we're not going to press him on it. But for me in math, I kept on failing over and over and over again, especially geometry. But what I found out is, is that they were teaching us stuff that were two or three grades ahead of where we currently were at. So if you excelled, you really excelled. And if you didn't excel, you were still ahead of public schooling, which to be 100% honest, I really wish they had told me when I went to public school. Because for a good two years, I was just relearning stuff. But when I went into public school, Damien showed up. Seventh grade. So I really didn't have the time to be able to process having an extra personality that was berating me and learn how to be in school in a completely new and different way. But again, back to the comics. So I make Stickman. And pretty much it was based off of Super Sentai or Power Rangers in America. And it was this one character named Stickman and he would have his armor upgrades and there would be a new villain every comic and he would defeat them. And pretty much it was just like silly stuff. So like one of the villains was Bubble Man and literally the only thing he could do was inflate himself to be bigger. So, you know, it starts off with a small panel, has Stickman and he's just like, oh, who is this new enemy? And then it shows Bubble Man and it's just, it's just this circle with a head with like really chubby cheeks. And it's just this dude standing there and he just starts to inflate. And then Stickman transforms, becomes more powerful. And I, I draw a little bit of color. Pretty much what I did was I was watching Digimon at the time and Digimon had just gotten armor. So I was just like, fuck yeah, I'm going to put armor on my Stickman. But remember, at this point, I was shy. Very, very, you know, scared. So didn't cuss. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to give him armor. So I, I put Digimon armor on Stickman, drew a little bit of color in to kind of mark a new issue. This was like, I think, issue four, issue five. Comic didn't have color before that point. So that way I really showed that the armor was important. Um, again, fourth grade, this was important to me. I wanted to convey these ideas and feelings in fourth grade. And I focused everything in on this. But this was also before Damien. So I make the comic and <laughs> Bubble Man just blows up into this huge panel until he's take up too much space to the panel. And there's a sharp edge on pretty much the glove of Stickman. And he just pops Bubble Man in one frame. Pop! And then it says at the end. <laughs> It, it wasn't a masterpiece. It wasn't, um, you know, anything complicated. But, you know, for a fourth grader to draw that, give that little narrative, give something that was really popular, which was Power Rangers during the time and Digimon during the time and Pokemon during the time. You know, although on the other hand, the more I say that, you know, I just got to talk to the certain age range and those are still popular, right? I'm 34, by the way. So that's giving you some more context. <laughs> I passed this comic around. Everyone's just like, oh, this is a good issue. Oh, I like this. Oh, this is so funny. And then even the teachers would read it. And then it would get passed back to me. But, uh, you know, my previsions and my visions were just kind of starting to rev up before Damien showed up. So I started drawing more violent things. I um, grew up with Robotech. And Robotech is about this 
um, spaceship landing on Earth. Japan collects the spaceship and they make um, jets that are able to turn into robots, mechs. And they go back out into space and they meet the aliens that they stole the tech from that the spaceship landed in. Although salvaged, I guess, is the better word. Um, because there was no survivors on the ship. There was nobody on the ship. So it was just, you know, this technological advancement that made it so that way these mechs, these robotechs could be made. And it's this huge war while simultaneously it's a love story. So as a grade schooler being traumatized and then watching this anime about Rick Hunter, the main character, choosing between this admiral I, I think she was a captain at the time and then she became an admiral or something like that. And this pop singer, Min May, I don't remember the admiral's name, unfortunately. He ends up choosing her in the end. Um, but his childhood friend, Min May, he's like, oh, well, I, I got to romantically choose between these two and I'm about to go to war. So he ends up falling in love with the captain, which to be honest was kind of the better choice because Min May was really immature. She was into her career and that was the lesson that I took away from the show. So when I was making my comics at such a young age and I was starting to try to come up with these stories and I started seeing these horrible, god awful fucking things in my brain as a child, I was just like, I'll add a little bit of blood to some of this stuff. So I had Robotech Wars versus Beanie Babies. So I, I would draw the enemies from Robotech. Really, really simple. It's just a circle, two legs, some cannons on top, maybe. And then, um, and then I figured out a way to how to draw Bernie, my, my favorite stuffed animal, Beanie Baby, who ended up being a personality. And uh, so Bernie and the dog team, which were the, some of the other Beanie Babies, I would draw fighting Robotech. And I would have blood gushing out because it was this thing I just kept on seeing in my head. Now, my parents were really concerned about me consuming media. They were really, really worried about me copying anything from Bart. They were worried about me becoming disrespectful or rude. Um, you know, they, di they didn't want me to hang out with the wrong crowd in a way. But the thing is, is that we were in suburban Southern California and pretty much like the wrong crowd was just MTV and Fox. So me growing up on Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network and me wanting to be such a good kid, you know, I'm not going to say it was cake for my parents to raise me, but I'm definitely saying every single adult would go, oh, he's so polite. Um... And also not only that, but everyone kept on saying like, oh, he's so handsome. Um, but I'm standing there right next to them and they would say, your son is so handsome or he's so handsome. And so that kind of just made me dissociate even more because here I'm, I'm starting to have personalities switch and grow out of me. And I'm starting to feel less and less like Armon and I'm starting to feel less and less like a person. So every single time somebody gave a compliment, like your son is so handsome. I pretty much just assumed they were saying that because that was the polite thing to say. You see a child, you go up to them and you go, wow, that's a good looking kid. Even, even if it wasn't true, because I thought I was ugly. Because again, trauma, you think you're bad. So 
I get into comics, start drawing a lot of comics. I was reading like Sonic comics. Um, my uncle Ernie was a really big influence on me. Uh, he was the one who got me into Robotech. He snuck Ren and Stimpy episodes for me to watch. But the thing is, is, is that Ren and Stimpy didn't have blood. It didn't have a large amount of blood. It was cartoony. It was stilly. It was violent. But the thing is, is that I knew that was bad and I wanted to be good. So the rule was just don't do anything in Ren and Stimpy and you're fine. You're going to be golden. You're going to be the best kid on the block because all the other kids were just like, oh man, this is so cool. And they, you know, want to quote it or say something from it. And I was just like, fuck no. Well, of course I wouldn't say fuck no. I would say, no, I'm I'm not going to say that. I can't say that. But then I started seeing a lot of violent images in my head and I really don't know where they came from. So I started drawing them in my comics because it was my expression. It was a way to get it out and going like, oh, okay, this, this really scary, dangerous thing that's in my head. I don't, I can put on paper and I can forget about it and I don't got to worry about it. And a teacher uh, who is pretty much a substitute and then became our permanent teacher for the year. She got the, the position permanently. She punished me for drawing that. Um, and she yelled at me. And I lost my recess for a month, an entire fucking month. Um, Again, not because of my fault. So she sees that I'm drawing these pictures and, you know, we're not talking about like blood and gore kind of stuff. We're talking about like a sixth grader who is okay at art, definitely fine at cartooning, but... The thing is, is, is that like there's spurts of blood coming out of some of the machines. Um, and again, there were machines, there were robots, but whatever, that didn't matter. And so she tells me, I don't want you to drawing this on, on school grounds ever again. Take these all home. And I go, okay. So I, I take them all home. I'm scared as shit because I am, I am thinking that like, oh my God, I'm going to get in so much trouble. And I take it all home. And I had forgotten, completely forgotten that I gave a couple pictures to my friends. And so a week later, teacher goes up to one of my friends and they find one of my pictures and they go, I told you not to draw this anymore. And I said, I did stop. That's from, and she just cut me off. And she said, no recess for a month. And that strictly taught me, do not trust teachers. There are nice teachers and then there's not nice teachers. Don't, just don't even risk it. Don't trust teachers anymore. And that was hard. It was a real fucking hard pill to swallow after being yelled at in first grade. After already feeling guilty for somebody else. For, for, for feeling guilty. Something was my fault in first grade. And that taught me the lesson, you have to protect others. And then later, I try to make amends and I try to explain the situation and I get cut off. And then I'm exiled from literally the only social time that I get because that's what recess was. Recess was insanely important because it allowed me to be a fucking kid 
and having that take away and pretty much being stuck in that situation and now no longer being allowed to draw really was just felt oppressive in all honesty. It felt it felt like even when I felt good, I was still bad. And soon after that, the, the night terror started the night screaming, the silent screaming at night. So I had to work really hard. I had to find something completely new. I had to find something better to find my way to feel good. Couldn't be drawing anymore. Damien showed up. I'm now in a public school. I'm not in a private school. I have to sit at a desk. I can't move around. I can't really talk with people. And I start hitting puberty. So now my visions are just getting worse and all these new different categories of horror because there were things I didn't want to see. So what do you do when (laughs) all of that fun gets sucked out of you? Well, thank God for video games. So my dad uh, introduced me to Atari. My uncle Ernie introduced me to Sega. And uh, my dad also introduced me to Nintendo. And so we would rent out a Super Nintendo from the Blockbuster. And I got really good at playing Super Mario World. Uh, When I went to Texas to see my cousins, I got to not only play and hang out with my cousins, but I got to play Super Mario Kart um, because they owned a Nintendo. And that was just like, whoa, like, that's amazing. And then uh, Pokemon premiered and I had a Game Boy and I would play that so, so much. So I get discouraged on being an artist. And now I'm in junior high. I have a Game Boy Advanced. I'm pretty much just able to focus and hone in on whatever video game I wanted, really. I had Nintendo Power. I would read the magazine as much as I could. I was a horrible reader. Um, (laughs) And uh, I would look at the pictures a lot. And I would also try copying the pictures. And then, of course, with Pokemon, you know, there's no violence, real, 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 real violence in Pokemon. There's still violence, but... You know, that always passed above board and I got away from that teacher. But there were also good teachers too at the private school. But uh, when you try to think about fun things and you try to think about, you know, what brings you joy, you're frequently reminded how that got taken away from you and what pushed you to the next fun thing. So it was video games. Everyone was better at them than I was. Um, I always came in last in Smash Brothers. N64 came out. I had an N64. Um, Every single time a new game came out that was like really big and regularly popular, uh, my friends always had it. So I played always at their house and I would always lose (laughs) because I didn't own the same games. But whenever I did have a game and whenever I was allowed to get a game, because I had an allowance. And so my parents were like, you know what? You're going to have to save up for these games. These games are fucking expensive. And I'm like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Of course, they didn't say it that way. I think, I think I need to give that as a general rule. When I curse now, currently, as an adult, there's none of that happening <laughs> when I was a kid. It is pretty much me being silent and going... 
can I get this game? And if it was a Game Boy game, because they were around $30, $35, now and then it was a yes. But if it was an N64 game, it was just like, mm, no, you're, you're going to need to save up your money for that. And then I would go, okay. And then I would just give up on the, on the higher end game because having an allowance and being able to spend the money on a cheaper toy, smaller toy, action figure, um, trading cards, anything else gave me such a dopamine rush that it, it made me forget about the horrible fucking things that I had to see and the, the guilt that I had. And so I kind of became a mini shopaholic as soon as I had an allowance. And it was always, you know, they would always tell me, Armand, the money's burning a hole in your pocket. And I couldn't grasp that lesson because it just felt so good to browse KB Toys, Target, Toys R Us, even, you know, like just any store in a mall, look through there, find something that I could afford for however much money I had in my pocket in that moment. Go up to the register, have a fine conversation with somebody that, you know, they see a kid, kid's stoked, kid pays with their own money. It's a good interaction. And it was a moment where I could have a connection with an adult without fear. And so every fucking time, buy, buy, buy. And it helped. It was really fun. But uh, yeah, I, I bought way too much stuff. We have a Japanese market. Um, back then, it was called Yaohan. And so my grandfather would take me there. My parents would take me there. And they had blind boxes. And it was funny because I'm Mexican, Indian, Japanese, and Russian. But um, having the Japanese community in Claremont and being part Japanese myself really allowed kind of my mom you know, to have some of those, um, some of that comfort that she used to have in her home from her Japanese mother, even though my grandma's a horrible person, you know, you live the way you live and there are things that are just going to bring you joy regardless of how difficult that was. So visiting Yaohan was kind of one of those things for my mom, especially as an adult. And for me, it was awesome. My dad would take me there and there's this store in the back and I fell in love with this game called Tamiya. And, um, it's these tiny little cars that you race. Uh, I even made a YouTube channel about it. Almost got, I I think I had like 496 subscribers, almost 500 subscribers. And, uh, it's a hobby that I, I do to this day. But that's going to be a whole nother episode I, or maybe not even an episode. I, I did a YouTube channel on it for an entire year. I think I'm good on talking about Tamiya. But that was one of the other things that I really enjoyed. So it was comics, video games, Tamiya, action figures, mainly Star Wars, Legos, the gamut. And I was privileged enough to be able to enjoy all of it. My grandparents um, would uh, spoil me a lot. And I would try to be as humble as I could because every single time they did get me something or they would say, pick out a toy or something else. Um, I felt like I didn't deserve it. And 
it's the reason why I tried to never damage the toy that was given to me. And, um, I didn't like to put stickers on my toys because if that toy ever got wet out of my control, then the sticker would be ruined and that would be technically damaging the toy. Um, and there was this, uh, Star Trek ship that my dad got for me and he asked me, do you want, do you want me to put the stickers on here? And I said, no. Uh, he was just like, oh, okay. And, and he just thought that was something I didn't want in the moment. And, uh, he, he tries to surprise me and he shows me the toy and he put all the stickers on perfectly. All the stickers, if you hadn't known those stickers were there from the beginning of time, but I knew that they weren't there at one point in time. And so I froze. I, I got so scared. I got so scared because here's one of the coolest toys that I've ever been given. And now if I get any liquid inside of it, I've now ruined this toy. And he told me when I was older how, how, how much that stunned me. And he really wasn't sure what to do. And he, he felt bad. And he said, sorry. And of course I said it was okay. I would always say it was okay. I didn't want my parents to feel bad. I didn't want my parents to know how horrible their son was. But that's the trauma. That's the fear. But I still got to play with it. I still figured out how to enjoy it. I had a uh, Sonic the Hedgehog doll. And uh, one night, I accidentally left it outside. First and only time, I cannot tell you how many times my parents would say, make sure you clean everything up. And I did. I did every single time. Most of the time, at least. 99% of the time, I'm sure. Or I would ask them, can I leave it out one more night? And they're like, mm, okay. <laughs> you know, it would, be, it would be a compromise. They were so, so good at being parents. So reasonable. And, and I was afraid of losing all of it. So next morning, rain and Sonic soaked. I am just crying. I thought my best friend had died. I thought he was unrecoverable. And so they put him in the dryer and they get him as good as new. And I was shocked. I didn't understand that this material thing could be good again. And almost as though that material thing being ruined was like my permanent record that I would just be forever known as the horrible son who killed Sonic. And, and that was hard. That fucking sucked. So you have all these landmines at a young age trying to figure out how to what you think is ruining your life when in reality you're just not treating materialistic things well. I'd go over to a friend's house who had more toys than I did. I went over to a friend's house who had way more broken toys than I ever had. And I would be disgusted. I would be like, what the hell did you, did you get grounded for this? And they're like, no. And I would just be like, well, that, that would never happen at my house. 
I thought I was going to be punished for everything and everything. Like I said, this is a disorder. This is DID. (laughs) And I am trying so hard to keep this fun, but it's really, really hard to talk about the fun stuff when you're dodging, you know, all these bullets and then you're just like, oh yeah, no, that thing I liked, I was afraid of it. No, that thing I spent hours and hours in front of, I, I thought I was becoming a worse person because I was enjoying that time because I, I had the potential to be human and accidentally break something. I had a, uh, a meeting with my uh, social worker at one point in time. And I had told her that I thought my parents were nice to me because they were good people, not because I was their son. And she went, whoa. And, you know, I've talked to this lady for many hours, for many years, and I've never, I've never had her be that sad for me. And I still can't fully grasp how sad that is because I sometimes feel like that. Not much anymore, but sometimes. So how do you push that emotion away when you have no idea as a child, as a junior high student, what you're going through? I'll be 100% honest. Nintendo. (laughs) You have something portable on you. That's the reason why I loved the Game Boy Advanced. Because every single time I felt bad and I needed to be distracted and I needed to forget about every single worry that was going on through my head, I could just take it out. I had it charged every single night. I was ready every single day to deal with these horrible fucking things. And I would turn it on and it would be Advanced Wars, Final Fantasy, Mega Man, just all these really great games. Golden Sun. Golden Sun was an exceptionally good Game Boy Advance game. And that just took everything away from me. And then, of course, every Pokemon game under the sun. I, I got all of them. I got to play all of them. My parents were down with Pokemon. They even, my mom, she even learned how to play the card game. So that way I could play in the Pokemon League. And I got four gym badges for playing like, I don't know, 150 games or something like that. So that was really cool. Uh, in second grade, I traded away uh, Articuno for a first edition Shadowless Charizard. And for those of you not in the know, um, mine was in horrible condition. Uh, scratches messed up and uh, it was still worth $4,000 when I sold it just a couple years ago. So best decision of my life as a second grader. And uh, I took really, really good care of my stuff. I took really, really good care of my stuff. Um, Because I can tell you this is that all that damage from that Charizard card did not come from me. It came from the kid that I traded with who did not care about that card at all. And when I got it, I was just like putting this in a sleeve and then it was in a sleeve and then finally got a hard case for it, immediately put it in the hard case and I kept it in a box and I kept it in a box all the way until I was 32. (laughs) Second grade. So junior high. I have Damien on my back. I have 
started to see things. I started to have my complete reality be warped. And I'm allowed to have my art again. And so I tried drawing horses in eighth grade. And uh, that was hard as fuck. I tried cussing when in, in junior high and it was really difficult for me to do. Um, thankfully, I had one of my best friends, Manny. And he's like, wow, you're a really sheltered kid. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> and he, he helped me with a lot of stuff. Um, Grand Theft Auto during that time had kind of premiered Grand Theft Auto San Andreas specifically, uh, you know, a few years later. And, uh, you know, that was an M rated game. I was 100% not allowed to play that game. And because I had Damien on me, I always felt that I was being watched. So when Manny said, Hey, I got Grand Theft Auto. Do you want to play it? I froze because I was so used to having Damien watch me and berate me and yell at me and show me these horrible things that if I just simply put that controller in my hand, I just thought I was going to get caught by my parents and I would get in trouble and I would, you know, be grounded, lose opportunities. And here's the thing, you know, when, when you, I say grounded, I really did think it was going to be for the rest of my life. I really, I just thought this entire thing would be taken away. I had such unreasonable expectations for the way my life was supposed to go. Just, let's just put it that as a child. So video games were dope as shit. Drawing finally came back in my life. And then high school happened. Here was kind of the interesting thing though. One cool part about, I, I almost want to say any mental disorder, any, anything that has to do with mental health, there are very sneaky ways, um, fun ways to distract yourself from whatever problem you have. And that 100% is surround yourself with others. So I had a friend group and I always made friends. And in first grade, my nickname was weirdo because everyone thought I was a weirdo. And then I grew up being called a faggot in my neighborhood and bullied for that. And then I would go to school and everyone was my friend except for my bullies. And I had multiple bullies over the years. I had about eight bullies throughout my entire life. And I got every single one of them to apologize to me. And that actually will be another episode. But if you surround yourself with people, and if you surround yourself with just people who are happier than you, they are the best distraction that you're going to get. So much better than anything you can come up with. So much better than anything Damien would ever say to me. So much better than anything I could talk about with, with Bernie. So much better than any art that I could create. Because then I didn't have to think and somebody could just... And I would listen to all of it and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, that's cool. So the water temple, that's how you beat it? And it was pretty much just this information overload of just learning from other people about other kids, other adults, anybody. And I would listen and I would be silent and I would 
give affirmations and I would ask questions. Sometimes I wouldn't ask questions. Sometimes I'd just let them keep on talking. And that was a wonderful distraction. Just having people talk at me. So I made a lot of friends. I made a lot of friends quick because after junior high, I figured out that by having real people around me, that was a really, really good solution to get Damien to shut up. Just not all the time, but enough because he was listening too. He had to know what they were saying. He wanted to know what they were saying. He wanted to use what they were saying either for me or against me, or he liked what they said, or in the rare instances, he would like what I would say, or he would say something really clever. I'm like, yeah, that, I'm stealing that line. And then I would say what he would say. And they're like, oh, that's, that's unlike you. And I'm like, oh, you have no fucking idea. You have no clue how that's unlike me. But again, fun stuff. So eighth grade, a little bit more sad. During PE, I had a bucket hat and I was wearing bucket hats regularly by this point. And I learned how to spin this bucket hat on my finger. And I learned how to throw it up in the air, catch it on my head, throw it around my back, and then catch it in my hand uh, under the leg, easy, easier than, than behind the back in any way. But I pretty much learned how to be odd job from freaking James Bond. Um, even though, I, again, I wasn't allowed to watch that movie. I wasn't allowed to watch any R-rated movies. So still very sheltered. Everyone else is, you know, going through puberty and learning curse words and R-rated movies. And I, I even walked in front of some kids uh, at the end of eighth grade, uh, lighting up a joint behind the gym. And uh, me not knowing anything about drugs, I just assumed that they rolled up a piece of paper and they were like, what a bunch of dummies, like acting like they're smoking a cigarette when it's just a piece of paper. Uh, <laughs> when in reality, I was the dummy who just didn't know that it was a joint. Learning how to spin that bucket hat was pretty much my premiere in my freshman year of high school. At this point in time, I'm able to have full conversations with Damien. Painful a lot of the time, but I was able to hold up on my own. And, uh, you know, I was taught that there were cliques in high school that it was a little bit like junior high. Um, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons in junior high and I wasn't sure on whether or not I was going to be able to continue that. So I played Dungeons and Dragons with my best friend, John Russell in my neighborhood. And so pretty much it would be go to school, be with my friends there, come home and then be with John Russell. And we played D and D we played video games. Honestly, I don't know if I would be alive without him. And it was this really nice division. Before I met John Russell, I had another friend named John Zercher who I would just go over to his house every single day because, like I said, uh, real people were the greatest distraction from everything horrible. And I would laugh and I would make jokes, but it was this constant amount of running away from that fear. So I'm in high school, I have my bucket hat, and I went up to click after click after click, group of kids, group of kids, group of kids. And I'm not seeing them as kids. I'm seeing myself as a kid. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm just surrounded by high school students, almost teenagers, pretty much teenagers. And I'm, I'm not understanding that we're all just still kids, pretty much. And 
I would go, hi, my name's Armand Gutierrez. I actually told them my first and last name. Uh, I do hat tricks. Would you like to see a hat trick? And of course, every single group said, sure. Because they were like, okay, who's this little weirdo? And I would do a hat trick. I would throw it behind my back. I would spit it on my finger, throw it up in the air and catch it on my head. I did it for a whole year in eighth grade. Now I'm in ninth grade. And now I'm just going up to these clicks performing. And I'm dissociating so much that I just don't have fear. I already think I'm a piece of shit. I already think I'm at my lowest. So what do I have to lose? So I do that. And then all of a sudden, everybody in my high school knows exactly who I am. And people wanted to be my friend. They saw me. They saw that I was nice. They saw that I just wanted to laugh and have fun. And nobody knew the wiser that I had Damien next to me the whole time. And, you know, when I was in the hallways alone, um, I would talk with Damien. We would go back and forth. What'd you think of that? What was up with that? Why would she say that? Why would he say that? I thought it was really funny. I got to remember that line. And of course, I couldn't remember that line. I had a memory disability. So I would just go, 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 hang out with this group, hang out with this group, hang out with this group. And I had my rounds. So lunch would happen and I would visit these kids, hang out for about five, maybe 10 minutes and then leave and then go hang out with some of the kids. And people knew I was weird, but they liked me for being weird. And that was very, very, very special about my high school. So I got invited to a senior party (laughs) as a freshman. And uh, the senior party was uh, a dude's uh, birthday party. And uh, pretty much they just brought all their N64s and had an N64 party and tournament. And I was just like, whoa, like what, what is going on? Like I'm just surrounded by more nerds. This is fantastic. I also got into comics um, because my Uncle Ernie gave me his co- a good chunk of his comic collection. And um, I read a lot of those. I was still collecting Sonic comics until uh, I finally understood that they were cringy. And, uh, and so I stopped reading them. But I kept on rollerblading. And uh, I would walk to school. And I loved walking to school, um, met up with Manny. And then I was in, um, a speech and debate team my freshman year and I was forced to, uh, learn how to communicate and really, really, really get out of my shell. The debate team that taught me were national champions. So they saw me shy as fuck, wanting to just be happy and laugh and kind of dorky. And they were like, all right. So I got entered into this impromptu speech tournament. So impromptu speech is where they give you three topics and they go, based off of these three topics, choose one, you get five minutes and then give us a speech, go. And I'm terrified of this tournament. It, It was my first one. And, um, I was in policy debate. So you had to have a whole bunch of evidence. I didn't understand how to collect evidence. So I was horrible at that. I had a teammate named, uh, Pookie 
because a girl called him Pookie and the girl was good looking. So he's just like, yeah, I'll be called Pookie. Even though I was just like, dude, you're never going to be able to date her if you're going to let her call you Pookie. It's because she thinks you look cute, not because she sees you as, as you know, sexy or as the opposite sex. I even understood that. And I was practically ace. So whatever. <laughs> Fuck policy debate. That was horrible. I cried every single week over that because I thought I would get an F because my partner did nothing and I had to do everything. But thankfully, there was impromptu speech and I was also afraid of that. I was horrified of that. And our teacher, his name was Mr. King. And Mr. King was a strategically relaxed dude. Um, but he was stern and he also didn't give a shit. Um, and he didn't give a shit about all the right things. So one morning I go up to Mr. King and I go, Hey, I was put into the impromptu speech tournament. And he goes, "Uh uh-huh. And I go, I I don't want to be in it. And he goes, well, you have to, he's stirring his coffee, you know, just calm not like giving me a wry smile, not, you know, giving me really any emotion, just telling me plainly that I have to be in this tournament. And I just stand there defeated and I look at him and I go, okay. And he laughs and he goes, that's what I like about you, Armand. And he just stirs his coffee and walks away. And I'm just like dying. I'm just dying in that moment. I'm like, I am so fucked. Damien just starts going like, you should have told him that you weren't ready. I know you're not ready. And just, you know, is cussing at me nonstop. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So anxiety, 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 anxiety. Constantly running my entire life. So here's a moment where I had all this anxiety and all of this fear. And I had all this repressed trauma. And I have Damien berating me and abusing me. And I found something really, really fun. So I go into the uh, speech and debate tournament. And I'm like, I'm just going to do what I know how to do. Go up to a bunch of kids and say, hey, do you want to look at this thing? (laughs) And show them this thing. And instead of that thing being a hat trick, It was whatever topic that they gave me in the speech. And I got to the finals. I got to the final round. And I was just like, what? Like, they liked me enough? They, I I don't know what I'm doing, but whatever I'm doing is working. Okay. And so it's the, it's the final round and all these other kids give a shit. (laughs) All these other kids are actual competitors. All these other kids were trained. And so when you go in and you come out, everyone surrounds you and goes like, what were the three topics that they gave you and what did you choose? And how do you think it went? And so those questions I never found the answer to before I gave my final speech. So I go in, I'm horrified. I think I'm just going to lose or embarrass myself. And They gave me a piece of paper and one of the words on there was sloth. 
And I'm like, that's weird. I, I guess one of the categories is animals because the words were always categorized. So like, let's say, for example, you know, the first slot was machinery. So one kid could have like a lathe. Another kid could have like a car or a piston or something. Second slot would be animals. Um, and it could be like giraffe or dolphins or whatever, right? Anything. So mine was sloth. And uh, I chose sloth because it was the only thing I recognized on the piece of paper. I decided to be cheeky with it. And I decided to be funny about it. Not knowing that comedy was okay. Because I'm just giving up. I'm done. I'm done trying. I'm not going to try to sound smart. I'm not going to try to talk about anything. So I pick sloth. And I make three points. I can't remember exactly all three of them, but pretty much the gist was this. The Matrix had recently come out. And I go, sloths have had a cultural impact. I didn't use those words exactly, but I was just like, our society loves sloths and we copy things from sloths. And so the movie, The Matrix, is a prime example of sloths. There's a famous scene in it where Neo, the main character, leans back and bullets are flying over him and it's in slow motion, just like a sloth. The slow motion of the Matrix was based off of the elegance and grace of a sloth. Now I'm laughing now as I say this to you, but I am saying this with a dead straight face to these three judges as I walk across this room giving this speech. I go, sloths could also be a wonderful, great achievement to help the homeless because sloths are so slow that fungi grow on their back. And so the sloth's food supply, actually they reach on their back and they pull the fungi and they eat the fungi. They eat the mushrooms and that's part of their food source. If we put a sloth on every person who's homeless, that homeless person will be able to enjoy the food that the sloths have and reach back there and be able to eat the same mushrooms. How wonderful would that be if we could just give people free food and a companion like a sloth? And I don't remember the, the third point, which was actually the first point. I, I did something very, very plain, very regular for sloths, very slow, tactile, whatnot. And then I did the Matrix one and then I talked about homelessness. So it really ramped up in ridiculousness. The speech ends. They go, thank you for your time. And I walk out and all the kids gather around me. And they're like, what categories did you have? And I told them the three. And they're like, what did you pick? And I said, sloth. And they're like, oh, so you did the deadly sins. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, from the Bible, one of the deadly sins. One of the seven deadly sins. Sloth. And I look at my main competitors who got to me on the finals and they're like, yeah, we chose that same category. We all talked about the Bible and the seven deadly sins. And I'm like, I, I talked about the animal. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I thought it, I thought it was the animal. And they're like, no, it's, it's one of the seven deadly sins. And I'm like, oh my God. 
I just, I just blew it. I just, I just blew the final, but I was relieved. I was just like, I'm done. And then they say, Hey, you have to stand up in front of all the competitors for the entire tournament and, and get your standing. Cause you got to the finals. And I was just like, Oh God. Okay. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they say, you know, the people who lost first and there was, there's four of us. So that's cool. That's fine. And so we all line up and I expect my name to be said first. And then he didn't say my name. And I was just like, Oh, oh. Damien's like, Oh, you didn't fuck up as bad. I mean, you're next, but whatever. And then, uh, and then they say another name and now there's two of us up there and I'm still up there. And Damien's like, what the fuck? No, you got second. There's no way. It's impossible. Don't worry about it. You're going you're gonna to go sit down. They're going to give you a little shitty trophy. You're fine. And then they said the other kid's name. And everyone cheered. And I was just like stunned. And I was scared. Because all this sound that really, really hurt my ears was just rainfall directly over me and they say our winner is Armand Gutierrez and they hand me the trophy and I walk up and one of my best friends Brian Schwan who was in the debate team with me who was in the tournament who I had apparently known for years but had forgotten that's a whole nother story high fives me and I was so happy to have a friend reach out to me and I just smiled and I was just like I won I don't know why but I did and when I got the results back they gave you notes on why you won on on why they gave you the score that they did and pretty much all of them were just like that was really funny and that was really clever that's it that's it everyone else wanted to talk about the bible you talked about sloths and that's how I won first place in impromptu speaking. And that's how I found my passion in talking to people that I didn't have to go to people to run away from myself, that I was actually able to listen, regurgitate, share, and succeed. And it kicked ass. It was, it was one of the best feelings in my life. Just feel like a loser throughout the entire thing. Fear throughout the entire thing, disgust and shame throughout the entire thing. And I came out feeling like I was okay. I, I didn't even feel like I was a winner. I actually looked at Mr. King at one point in time and I'm like, is this, is this right? Is this correct? And he goes, yeah, you want it. And I'm like, okay. And so I have that trophy on my desk. Because it, it taught me that the skills that I'm good at, that I'm naturally good at, that I worked hard at, I could grow. And so I got back into cartooning and I was invited to a very special class because I started cartooning in junior high and I did stop motion animation 
And then I learned how to do cell animation in high school. And then I published my first book in my senior year of high school. I was invited to a special video class because I took video class so many times where I taught other kids how to make cartoons. And then my cartoons, my cartoon show called Sardunza that I got to name along with other kids' projects were shown on a weekly basis to the entire school. I dove into every single art and passion that I had so that way I didn't have Damien fucking me up every single day. And I was still getting fucked up every single day, staying up way too late, playing video games, trying not to cry. I still cried every day. I found a way I would schedule it out. I was just like, okay, I have this half an hour before I'm with my parents and I have this half an hour that's right after school. If I cry walking on my way home, I will not have to be caught. And that was my freshman year. And there were some really, really fucking low points. I ran away from home because I failed a class because I thought my parents wouldn't want me anymore um, as soon as I failed a class. And thankfully, I had two friends who cared about me enough and walked me back home um, after being missing for quite a few hours. I was trying to reach out for help and I reached out for help in the wrong place, pretty much to a stranger, another kid at school. Um, and they weren't home. And so I talked to their parents and their parents were like, she's not here. And I'm like, okay. And I, I didn't know what to do. That's probably going to be another episode. But after that, once I talked to that police officer and once I saw how much my parents didn't hate me after winning that tournament and after knowing that I could fail and succeed all within the same year, things got easier. Things got way easier. I started dating in social or in my, uh, <laughs> in my, uh, sophomore year, Rachel Stein, by the way, Rachel, if you're hearing this, thank you. And I'm very, very happy that you found the love of your life. That that was a really, really special thing for me to find out. That was cool. Um, just as I know how you were happy for me when I found my person. So the moral, the fun is that when you run away from your fears and you run away from the thing that's making you suffer every single day, run towards something that gives you any amount of happiness that doesn't hurt others and that doesn't hurt you. And you can take that physically because I definitely did things socially that were not fun, but I didn't. I, I tried my best not to hurt others. I made sure that I was the one who was always in pain. And so we're going to leave it at that for freshman year. Sophomore, junior, senior year, whole slew of different problems, whole slew of different lessons, whole slew of different fun, 
and suffering because after that shit got too real and I had to grow up fast because I was held back on being a person. This is DID and me. Thank you for letting me be so personable. Thank you for letting me share all of that with you. Talk to you soon.